Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Liam Maitland, KCBS Foodie Chef in Mexico City. Chef Eduardo Garcia, Massimo. One of the highlights of my trip, a dinner here. And Massimo will get into it in just a couple of minutes. But first, a chef who put a stake in the ground here with his own restaurant, 2011. Uh, here we are. 13 years later, uh, beyond a pandemic, still strong, still thriving, still here, and I'm honored to spend some time. Chef Eduardo, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, happy, happy, still, almost 50 and going. I'm in the 50 club. It gets yeah. better. Yeah, it gets right. better. You, you creak a little, but it feels yeah. better. It does. Yeah. Uh, chef, let's go way back in time and go back to where it all started growing up as an immigrant family in America. Your family settled for a period, uh, an important part of your life as a teenager in Atlanta. Being part of an immigrant family in America, who was cooking in the family? What was coming out of the kitchen and landing on your kitchen table as a kid? So basically, we are, we are uh, not, we're, we're not only immigrants, but we come from, from a village in Mexico. And if you come from a village in Mexico, you come from very, very good eating. So in, in, in my village, obviously, my mom, my grandmother always had the, the, the say-so in the kitchen. You men didn't go in the kitchen. But I always, you know, had everything here on, on site. You were watching. I was smelling, I was watching, and I was thinking. Um, in the U.S., it was a little bit difficult because we moved in at a time where... Wait, where was that village in Mexico that your family... Um, so, so my village in Mexico is in Guanajuato. I, I was born in, uh, in the state of Guanajuato. And uh, actually, we're in Mexico City now, but I've never been here before until I was deported in 2007. Wow. So, wow. So basically, it was a big change for us going from... Basically, it was, it was a 200-year change. It was going literally into the future sure. for us. Yeah. Because we go from a village who had just uh, uh, got uh, electricity. Sure. And we didn't get running water while I was living in my village. We got it in 1998. Everything we went, to, we went and got from wells that we built ourselves. And you were probably living off the grid, right, simply? 
with just no television, none of that. I had never seen a plane. I've, I've, I had seen a plane in the far, you know, uh, sky and heard a plane, but I never ever seen uh, anything like that. So we go into the future, literally, and but a little bit into the past when it came down to food because. In the 80s, food, Mexican food in the U.S., yet so close but so far, yeah. it wasn't really there. Yeah. So for us, it was a huge change. But luckily, my father had been in the States for about 20 years when we got there, and he knew how to make the perfect, perfect flour tortillas <laughs> because that's what Mexicans yeah. were eating in the, in the north yeah. uh, uh, of Mexico and in the U.S., yeah. So my, I remember this noise. I would never, ever, ever forget this noise where my father would wake up at 4 in the morning every day and make flour tortillas, and you just hear the stick, you know, the little broomstick that he cut from a broom and made into a, a dough. A rolling pin. Like a rolling pin, pin, yeah. So then my mom would get up at 5, and she would cook very basic uh, egg and eggs with frijoles and make burritos, and we would take that to the fields and eat. But everything was about the smell. Everything was about the sounds. And uh, little by little, Mexicans started to bring more product and more product. And it started to become a little more Mexican for me. Yeah. Um, Because what was the food when you were in America? Let's talk about Atlanta because you spent your teenage years there. Uh, What did you think of American food? And what's your earliest memory of enjoying a hamburger or something so American and alien to you? I tell you a super like uh, 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 fun story, but first, when we lived in Florida, uh, we worked every day as kids. But one day, like on Saturdays, before we would go to the fields, my father would uh, go to this guy's house who made barbacoa, northern style, yeah, like birria, but so it was in the ground. Yes, in the ground, but he made it in the back of his house, like. Yeah like a hush-hush, but his name, I remember the taqueria in his house was called Juan Tacos. And so basically, Saturdays was amazing because we ate birria tacos with flour tortillas because the flour, the tortillas that they sold back then had an odd smell to them and we didn't really like those. So basically, I never went to school in the U.S. because we, even if we did go to school, they didn't teach us anything because we were migrant kids. Yeah. And migrant kids basically move so much that teachers don't really know what to do with them. Yeah. And so, but in the South Georgia, mm-hmm. where I loved going to school, yeah. not because of the hot teachers or the <laughs> blonde little teenage girls, but because of the food they served in the cafeteria. Really? Yes. What was it? What did fried, you love? Fried chicken, fried okra, um, uh, what mac else was amazing? Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese, pizza on Fridays, uh, grits, yeah. uh, French toast. But it was like a restaurant because they, on the center of the table, they had the, the wax peppers yeah. and they had hot sauce. Yeah. And you can go for seconds. Like if we didn't fill up, like you can literally go back in line and get more fried chicken, uh, tater tots, and mac and cheese, and it was amazing. Like you, we were, we Mexicans kids. They, the school knew that we ate so much, 
they probably never figured out why. They probably thought we were just like poor kids who had no, sure. no food at home. Yeah. And that's because we were overworked because yeah. we, that's what we did. We, after school, we went to work yeah. and we got home late. And the next day we would wake up and we just ate the cafeteria food, you know, because it was so good. Second, I'm still stuck on seconds. The fact you can go for seconds. You go for I seconds. remember that too, because at home, you got what was there. You're, you know, it wasn't, wasn't a case of what's for dinner. It's like, is there going to be dinner? So going to school meant you would definitely get a meal and seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So but, um, in the, as a kid, really, like, food to me was like a... a it wasn't as big as it's now. I knew that I love food because I yeah. come from a, a family where eating was part of life. Sure. Like yeah. we, we knew two things. Yeah. We knew work and we knew food. Yeah. Like those were two things that were in every day, like uh, as a kid, not as an adult, as yeah. a kid. So, so going to the States, we lived around uh, food because we grew food. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't like the most nutritional food because we lived around like... Uh, big farms with uh, pesticides and agrochemicals and things. As a kid, you don't know that, right? Yeah. But, but we grew around food. We grew up around food. So if you had one memory of America and the food that you enjoyed as a kid and could just take one thing and eat it as part of your last supper, what would that one American item be? What would it be? Oof, that's a difficult one, but it would really, really have to be fried chicken, especially from the South. Yeah. Like, you, it, it just... Like, if you take... Just, I, I, by the way, I love chicken. Like, it took me 10 years to, to, to actually get the right chicken in Maximo because chicken over the, over the you know, past uh, 50 years have, have been really, like, messed up. Messed up oh, of course. You know? Yeah, yeah. All these chemicals they put in. So it took me 10 years to get a natural, delicious chicken in, in Maximo. So you take a, a, a such humble ingredient and... Add a few spices and flour and fry it, and you just have like this amazing. Uh, I mean, isn't that what most death row inmates want? They, when want, they, they die? want fried chicken. So we're going to fast forward because uh, the chicken story is taking us to where we are today. And just a few nights ago, I came here to Maximo, uh, had the most extraordinary meal. Thank you, chef. Thank you. Spoiled, royally spoiled. I never imagined if I saw chicken wing on a menu that I would get excited but I knew you were going to do something special with him and what you have done and what you do it's not just the thoughtful use of ingredients it's how you source the ingredients and knowing where they came from knowing you're purchasing from good purveyors who are also thoughtful and conscious you know of the planet and the environment this chicken wing I'm still dreaming about it five days later and that's what you do you elevate good ingredients so something ordinary you make it extraordinary that's what you did with this dish so we're going to go straight to it the chicken wing in a dipping sauce with a dipping sauce talk us through that dish so a chicken wing is probably one of the best pieces of cut from the chicken it's bony it's got very little meat but it's delicious especially like when you fry it no so basically when we are breaking down chicken, you have all these other parts that aren't breast, but you can use. They're still delicious. They still have the same nutritional facts as the rest of the bird. So 
basically what we do is we debone the, the chicken wing, we stuff it with more chicken and uh, and also you stuff the chicken wing. We stuff the chicken wing with more meat because it lacks meat. Yeah. And then we have another dish on the menu that that uh, we use uh, beef tongue that you know we braise and then when we break down the actual uh, the whole tongue, we have little pieces of of uh, meat that are you know left over. We chop that up and we put that into the minced meat and then we stuff the chicken wing. And then we just basically grill it, yeah. grill it, and use some of that reduction that from the bones, and then just baste it and brush it with more love, and just basically put it on a plate. With the rest of the bones, we make a broth, and serve that on the side so that you can, you know, enjoy the flavors because we use we try to use everything. Yeah. You know, we use everything. A lot of times, if we go to the restaurant and they're basically giving you like this broth on the side, they're like they're most people would think well. Maybe they're giving you the leftovers for that. Well, that's not leftover. That's, you know, that's love. On a bowl. That is love. Pure love. And chef, you know, uh, a lot of a lot of chefs talk about you know the whole beast from nose to tail. But for you, equally important is the whole vegetable. You know, from root to flower. Uh, it's important to use it all. Use the entire ingredients. That's part of a sustainable uh, view. Yeah. So when you when you grow up grow up in a in a poor environment uh, uh, money wise but a super rich you know uh, food environment you learn to use everything because if you 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 talk about a beat you know you you take the root and you take the actual beet and then the leaves yeah. every one of those has nutritional value and different flavors yeah. so if you take the roots and you flavor a broth with it, or you make a puree and for the actual beet, and then you take the leaves and you braise the leaves and serve them with fish, with meat, with lamb, whatever. It, it just, and you know what else? It, it's actually a challenge for the cooks. It, it's a challenge. Which is good, because you want them to be challenged. You want, you want them to, to, to be challenged and you want them to be happy. Because also, one of the things that I know and most chefs know is that even if a cook has already graduated from school or worked at a restaurant when he is going to work for you he's still learning and uh, if you give him those challenges he's going to learn more and one and and it has nothing to do with a with with hands challenge or a brain challenge it's more of a palate challenge once they learn how to work with their palates the rest comes naturally. Yeah. That's the hardest part about a cook. Sure. Let's go back to 2011. You put the keys in the door. Day one. Massimo, here. What are you hoping for? And if you could whisper in your ear, now, looking back, what would you tell yourself about what's to come? <sighs> so part one, key in the so, door. So part one, key on the door. It wasn't easy. Nothing has ever been easy for me. Nothing. But I think that's the resilience in me. I think that's part of the reason why we are talking at this moment. Because nothing has ever been easy. Uh, ever. Since, I was the, since day one, since I was born to this moment. You still challenge, challenge, challenge. So the day we opened the door, it was a dream come true. Because you are a, you are a villager. 
You're not supposed to think or, or society tells you that you're not supposed to think big or dream big. Society tells you that you have to be that same villager. Yep. So you think as a villager. In your box. In your box. So the day we opened the restaurant, we were dreaming. We were happy, but worried. Because this is 12 years ago. Yeah. Mexico was not the same country 12 years ago. You still had to bring in people. You still had to tell people that this was a restaurant where you could eat amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and people in Mexico were not, they're not full. It wasn't part of the culture. It was a dozen not years part ago. Of the culture. No. It was not part of the culture. You go to a restaurant, to a classical restaurant, it's been there for 50 years, and people believed in that restaurant because it's been there for 50 years. Set menu. Rarely changing. Rarely changing. A 50, 50 year restaurant with a 50 year menu. Yeah. But people went there because they had been there for 50 years. Yeah. And so we opened the door. A uh, few weeks went by. It wasn't easy. We, we, you know, scratching our heads like, is it going to happen? You know? And I tell you a story that I tell everybody because it's a real story and because it, this, from this moment on, it just literally changed. It's a lot. I believe in that, a lot in energy, yeah. in positive and negative energy yeah. because they both exist yeah. in, my, in my view and in my life. It was... January, it was December the 19th, 2011. Yeah. 7 p.m. The earth started to shake like nothing I had ever witnessed in my life. I literally thought the world was ending. I had never seen anything like it. The road, we came out of the building where Maximo used to be, and the road was literally like waving like this. It was waves. And I was like, this is not real. Everything should be falling down. And in that moment, I was like, wait, what if the building does fall down and I don't have to pay rent? Because we had been there two weeks and we had no money for rent. And I was like, I had forgotten about the earthquake and I had started to pray that the building would fall down so I didn't have to pay rent. And this was a Saturday night. Obviously, we did two tables that day. Yeah. So we always, that Sunday we came back and we had another two people for brunch. And then Monday we closed because it was, you know, like our day of off. And Tuesday came, we opened the door, the restaurant was full, lunch and dinner. And then from that day on, this is the moment. Wow. Ten projects later with other of our, yeah. our, our uh, investors, which is an uncle of mine and a cousin of mine in the U.S., own Maximo together, but all the other projects are with employees. Yeah. Wow. So we talk about sustainability. By the way, what a story. Two weeks in. <laughs> Two weeks in. Only a handful of diners and this happens. But then, joy of joys. Mm -hmm. So your life, you know, the ups and downs. Yeah. Uh, well, I got tired. I got old. I lost hair. But you look good. Are. You look good. You're not even 50 yet. Almost. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, it, it's a challenge. But you know what? It's rewarding. I've met so many people. I've been to 50 countries I never even dreamed of. You know, uh, people, people thank you for what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, we have employees from the first day still here. 
and some of our employees are already restaurant owners with us. So it's a reward. It's hard, but it's a reward. And you, we talk about sustainability, Chef. Sustainability also is not just about the food. It is about your employees, giving them a piece of the pie. Your investment in them uh, begets an investment in you. And to give back, I mean, that's that full circle sustainable moment. I always tell my employees, I, me and my wife have the title for the restaurant. But this belongs to all of us. Let's, we, we all get a paycheck at the end of the day. And we all own part of the, of the business. It's our restaurant. It's not my restaurant. I never tell people that this is all mine. This is ours. And so basically what we've done, is it, it, I, we go back to 2011. When we started the Little Maximo, me, me and my wife wanted a little bit of restaurant where the neighbors came and we would be happy. That was the dream. Yeah. But you know what we learned? Is we learned that people in Mexico needed jobs. Yeah. And then we started to hire people and then we're like, we don't need any more people. Yeah, but we can hire them and they can you know, yeah. feed their family. And then we learned that. Mm. We learned that if we employ people, now we have close to uh, four or 500, I don't know how many people we have working for us in 10 restaurants. Uh, and that's the, that, 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 that was the dream then. Mm-hmm. That, this is why for me it's super important that we keep our restaurants running more than we, that more, obviously the accolades, the stars, the, the 50 best and all of this is important. But for us, it's a lot more important to keep the restaurants running so that the people that are working in the restaurants are allowed to feed their families and all the people that we, that work for us, because it's not just employees, it's the people that we buy things from. Sure. And the people that they buy things from, that's the whole deal with us. Like, it's, a, it's amazing to, to have a recognition. I want to mention a couple of important markers in your journey. Uh, COVID, a pandemic, it brought a lot of people down, brought the whole industry down, uh, not just in America, around the world, because everyone was touched by this. What did you take away from it? How did you come out of it? And as you look back at it, uh, what was the greatest lesson from it? You know, like I told you that I believe in energy. It, it, COVID was 2020. Yeah. It had been five years before that since I told my wife. I'd, I had this feeling. Mm. You know, I had this feeling. I kept telling my wife, like, something is going to happen. Something is going to happen. And the day that it, ha- it happened, for me, it was like, wow, what do we do now? But it wasn't a shocker. Yeah. We learned so much from that time. We learned that this could be open today and it could close tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. But we also learned that if we do things right, mm-hmm. eventually yeah. we are going to, to n- not necessarily like thrive mm-hmm. but we will survive sure you know so for us it was it was a little bit more challenging but at the same time i think we are the restaurants we even got an award because of it we are probably like the restaurant that that made it possible for other restaurants yeah. to take that that lesson mm-hmm. and keep on going yeah. because what happened is 
the day that the city closed. March 2020, right? Yes. March the 19th, yeah. 2020, the city told us that we could no longer open. I remember this because it was two days after St. Patrick's Day when yeah. everyone drinks. Yeah. And we drank heavily. Go on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but yeah. for us, it yeah. was another challenge. Yeah. We had invested in this restaurant where we are sitting right now. It wasn't cheap. And it was our first day of opening. Our first day of opening, they told us we couldn't open. And you respond? No big deal. You know why? Because sometimes, and it's going to happen again, because we are, we are doing everything so fast. Yeah. You know, everything is so fast and it's going to happen. For us, we looked at it as like, calm down. Mm -hmm. You're going too fast. Relax. You know, and we did that. Yeah. We did that. But we sat down. We told our employees, look, 20% are going to stay in the restaurant. The rest go to your villages. See your family and be with them. Yeah. Because we might never, ever see each other again. How many came back? All of them. We never fired anybody. Yeah. We almost went bankrupt. We had, at one point, we went from a company that was doing so, so much to 20,000 pesos, the equivalent of maybe $1,500 in the bank. With 120 employees. So this is what we did. I had seen, because in the US, yeah. the COVID came two weeks before. Yeah. In New York, it was already like chaos. Yeah. San Francisco was already chaos. Yeah. And I had seen these chefs, they would like start to do to-go food. So that same day we closed, that same day, that same day, I told my employees, the ones that stay, grab everything we have to go, all the to-go boxes, yeah. see how much we have, and I'm going to start to post and that day we sold 70 kits. Oh my gosh. Wow. To go food. And we had two of the days with the most sales in the entire time we've been open. Crazy. So a challenge comes, you meet it head on, and you breathe and you take action. No, you know what? We became human again, at least for two years. Yeah. We became human again yeah. because every day we, I would wake up at 6 in the morning, come home at 12, go to sleep for three hours, then wake up again at 6 every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. And for what? For what? So this was like meant it. Now it's like I don't have to go to work at 6. I go at 9 and I come back at 5. And then we, we, me and my wife, we cook pasta and we have a little bit of wine. That was human. <laughs> For us, that was human. So yeah. we, it was like probably, like obviously you, you saw the news, uh, how some places where people were dying and, you know, uh, it, was, it was sad. But at the same time, you look at your little bubble and you're like, wow, this is life. Yeah. This is life. We feel human again. And in this industry, because you work so hard, I know when you were opened... It wasn't 6 a.m. You were up at 4 a.m. And you were going to meet with your purveyors and getting everything set up. Those things that your father taught you, you know, knowing that he would get up at the same time when you were a kid, I'm sure, informed you. What would you say to your parents? I'm sure you already have. Are your parents still here? I hope they My are. mom. Your mom's My still here. My father died in 2005. And uh, one of the reasons is why I'm so resilient is because of him. Yeah. You know, and I've always, like, I never told him, and he, he obviously knew, but I've always wanted to be like him. Yeah. Because he was that type of person. Like, there were some times where, where remember uh, Hurricane Andrew in the 90s? Sure. 
guns. And every, it just took all the fields. Yeah. And we were left out with a job. And yeah. he's like, he never, we never saw worrying him because he knew that we were going to eat. Yeah. Maybe we weren't going, you know, to have that same meal, but we were going to eat. And it, it, for him, it was never like a, a, a end of the yeah. uh, world kind of thing. It was like, okay, so we'll go to a church, we'll cut their grass, and they'll give us a bag of rice, a bag of beans, yeah. you know? And that, I learned that from him, and he knew that I, I, I was watching. He knew that, because it was like the kid that he always told, you know, like, hurry, hurry. But he knew mm-hmm. that I knew that I needed to hurry, sure. yeah. you know? So, and my mom is like, my mom is like, both of my parents were illiterate. And obviously, they never went to school or anything. And she is like me. She's, she doesn't know, but she knows. Yeah. You know, like she knows that if she put her mind into it or put, you know, like hands on, she would achieve it. Yeah. You know, and they, they, my mom is like so grateful for, you know, for what we've done because once you have a loved one that goes away, especially one that you lived, you know, all, most of your life with, then you think everything is done for like but your father still informs you today motivates you today inspires you today he's still here he's still, obviously my father's still here he's always going to be here uh every day even when i see myself i i start to see you know more of him in me oh, yeah. you know like because you start to 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 look alike sure. you know so <laughs> you are him you're of him you're becoming him yeah exactly uh Chef Eduardo, last couple of questions. Um, for those who've never come here and know you have 10 different operations all over, but just because I've had this experience, I'm going to be telling everyone to come. They already are. Tough reservation, but you can get one. Uh, describe uh, the scene here at Massimo uh, and what will people discover when they get here? What's on the menu? What's the vibe? What's the experience of Massimo here in Mexico City? Maximo is a is a very live place. It, it, it reminds you. I tell you what, why the design is like this. When I lived in Ohio, uh, we picked uh, uh, cucumbers for pickling and tomato romas for canning, mm. and our neighbors were all Amish, mm. and we lived inside a barn, and it looked like this, but wood. And when I told this to my designer, he built our little home that we used to live inside a barn. And so (laughs) this is a very live place. You don't... This is is very personal, obviously. This is very personal. It it, it feels like home. And when people come here, the one thing that I can tell you is don't come with big, like, star expectations or 50 best expectations come here with a mental mind that you are going to have something nutritional and delicious and if i tell you about the menu i won't because people will be upset if they don't find it because we change the menu almost every day depending only on what we are you know harvesting or or if there's no fish there's no fish because the fishermen didn't catch any fish or if there's no chicken it's because the chickens aren't you know ready and so we just it's nutritional delicious simple food i can attest to that simple food elevated 
when I walked in the doors here for the first time this past week, I did feel like I was coming into someone's home. Uh, if you're waiting for a table, there's a living room where you can sit. Yeah. And it feels like we're hanging out in your house. Uh, so it's comfortable. But the service, the quality of the food takes it to that next level. But it's a comfortable experience. It's not a fussy experience. Uh, it is casual. Um, last two questions are important for anyone coming to Mexico City. If you have family that are coming from America or another part of the world, what's a perfect day in Mexico City? Where do you send them? What do you do with them? So, and this is with the tourist hat on. So a perfect day in Mexico City, weather-wise for me, it's a rainy day. That's probably why I'm living in Mexico City, because I love the rain, and when it rains, it's amazing. Mexico City is a city that's huge, but at the same time, it's super small. Because you're really only within a five-kilometer radius. Everything else is where, you know, it's where people live, it's amazing, but it's living quarters. You don't go there. So you stay in Roma, you stay in Condesa, you stay in Centro, you stay in Coyoacán. So when you come to Mexico City, think of it as a place where you've been before. Especially if, if you come from the States, because it's so close and so far. And also Europe. It feels like Paris in places. Yeah. It does. Yeah. It feels like a lot of places in the world. But when you come to Mexico City, have that mentality that you've been here before. People are super kind. Don't be, don't be afraid to ask anybody for anything because they will answer and they will answer with a, a calm, uh, a happy answer. Uh, there's so much to eat. There's so much that you can do with uh, museums, galleries, restaurants. It's a city that lives on happiness. And you can walk. It's walkable. Everywhere. You can walk. Uh, it's like any other big city in the entire world uh, where people where it's not 100% safe yeah. because that's just the way big cities are yeah. uh, I feel very safe I feel I've safe. always I, been I never had a bad moment in a week either I've been here since 2009 it's mm-hmm. never been no incident uh, but it's like any other big city in the world you want to do, get into the little bad things and bad things will happen no? Um, come here and enjoy. Live the people, live the food, and live the art and ac- architecture. Chef Eduardo Garcia, what an honor. Give Thank me your you hand. So Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. uh, friends, do yourself a favor more on Chef Eduardo Garcia's story and a link, of course, to Maximo so you can come dine here. You'll leave with a happy heart and a happy tummy. I know that. Uh, more on Chef's story at kcbsradio.com and click on Foodie Chap. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.